Three, two, one. Oh my goodness, everybody. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. You're listening to The Film Room here on 88.9 The Bridge. I am your host, Andrew Pearson. The show that aims to make us all smarter and more aware football fans through film analysis and study and just breaking down all of your favorite players and teams from all around the NFL and now that we're in the NFL offseason, the XFL. My goodness. All right. Uh, It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Uh, Last week was break, uh, so... I was unfortunately not able to record an episode for you guys, so we missed a week of the of XFL coverage, and uh, I apologize for that, but uh, we're back now, we're back now, and we are going to jump right in, into XFL stuff, but before we do that, um, my film analysis on a certain defensive back out of UCLA that I want to do, uh, that's going to be coming later in the show. If you're familiar with this show at all, uh, typically what I do is I break down uh, a player on film uh, at the beginning of the, in the beginning portion of the show and then I go into a weekly recap of what happened in the football world over that week. Now that we're in the NFL offseason, that's kind of uh, been replaced with XFL coverage, which I'm very happy to bring to you guys. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that my film analysis on my draft prospect that I'm going to be breaking down for you guys, that will be coming later in the show, uh, probably after my XFL coverage bit. So just letting you guys know that. Now, let's get into XFL stuff. <laughs> this week in the XFL was probably one of the best ones so far. Um, we had two really good games and two uh, blowouts, which were still really, really entertaining. Uh, I guess that's part of the masochist in me, but let's let's just dive right into it. Let's go into Saturday's games, which were uh, better than Sunday's games, to say the least. Uh, it was the Houston Roughnecks at the Tampa Bay Vipers. Houston Roughnecks winning 34-27 to over Tampa Bay. Um, P.J. Walker continues to look impressive. He continues to absolutely astound me on every single play that he has the ball in his hands. He has that elite, twitchy pocket presence. When he senses pressure, he he moves around in the pocket and he delivers a strike downfield. Or he just runs out of the pocket and runs for a first down anyway on, on, soft, co- on soft coverage plays where they don't really have anybody on P.J. Walker. He is really fast. Uh, he's got a great arm. Really nice footwork as well. I, I really like what I'm seeing from P.J. Walker. And to be honest with you, I think uh, when when the season is over, NFL teams are going to be looking at P.J. Walker and saying to themselves, hey, this guy is pretty much a draft prospect right now coming out of the XFL. He's going to be a priority free agent once the XFL is over. And uh, I'm really happy to say that. I'm very excited for P.J. Walker. He is, without a doubt, the runaway MVP candidate in this league at the moment. Uh, he just does everything, man. He had another 300-yard day today, or on uh, on Saturday. It, it was great. It, it was really impressive. Now, what really made me happy for, for Houston is that the surrounding core around P.J. Walker in Houston is also really good. James Butler... Uh, number 28 
uh, running back for Houston. He is has actually been one of the best running backs in the league so far. And I say that not only on his in-between-the-tackles rushing ability, which has been a bright spot for him. Uh, he's also really good at catching the ball out of the backfield. He has really nice hands, uh, really really twitchy and uh, short area quickness, air, quickness uh, parts of his game. He's really good. Uh, another, and without a doubt, the best wide receiver in the league is Houston's is Houston's Cam Phillips. He almost had another 200-yard receiving day today, or on uh, on on Saturday. My bad. <laughs> and he's just been excellent. He's I believe number 14 uh, for for the Houston Roughnecks. He is he is just on another level, man. He keeps just getting open. He's a great route runner. He's physical in his routes. He just he's just great at separating and he has good hands as well. Don't I would not be surprised if an NFL team tries and picks tries to pick him up uh this this winter as um let's say uh, a slot wide receiver or a complimentary piece uh in a wide receiving core. The, he really has what it takes to do that kind of stuff. And also DeMarcus Gates uh on uh Houston's defense has been really good. Has been a really good linebacker so far. Uh, he pretty much tackles everything that comes in front of him, and he flows to the ball really well. Now let's go into Tampa Bay, and uh, let's just say this was a bit disappointing, but hopeful for Tampa Bay. Uh, they still have no quarterback, without a doubt. They have absolutely no quarterback at all. They they're trotting out this experiment called a Taylor Cornelius out of Oklahoma State or something like that. Uh, I don't I don't get it. I don't get what Mark Trestman, uh, head coach of the Tampa Bay Vipers, sees in, um, sees in Cornelius. I don't understand it. I think it's odd that he keeps sticking by Cornelius. He's just this slow, plodding, pocket-passing quarterback that is not going to work in the XFL. In the XFL, you need to have a mobile quarterback that can elude pressure to a decent ability, mostly because the XFL offensive lines are just not up to snuff. They just are simply not as... They're, they're just worse than NFL offensive lines. And when the talent level is so much lower, you need to have um, you need to have a quarterback that can make up for those weaknesses. And a pocket passing quarterback in this league is not going to do that, mostly because their their ability to progress through reads and their processor of defenses. If it was good, they would be in the NFL, but it's not. For the majority of these quarterbacks in this league, their processor for uh, processing defenses is not good. That's why they're in the XFL. That's why they're not NFL backups. And so, if a pocket passing quarterback can't make up the difference um, by not being able to move around in the pocket with with their head and being able to dissect to dissect defenses really quickly, if they can't do that, well, then they're screwed. Which is why mobile quarterbacks are so much better in the XFL and why they're so important in the XFL. And 
Tampa Bay continues to trot out pocket-passing quarterbacks as their starters when they have a mobile quarterback in Quentin Flowers who looked pretty good in the few snaps that he was given at quarterback this week. I don't understand why Tampa Bay just doesn't go with Quentin Flowers because they've trotted out Aaron Murray out of Georgia. He sucks. Uh, just sticks on his first read. Can't progress uh, through through a play. Not that great of accuracy. He is not very good. Taylor Cornelius, kind of the same thing. Bit of a stronger arm on Taylor Cornelius, but he has absolutely no accuracy. He he can't place the ball in the right way to his receivers at all. Every time he throws, you're holding your breath that he isn't going to miss it by five yards. It's bad. Taylor Cornelius is a terrible, terrible quarterback. But when Quentin Flowers is in, it's weird because the offense just seems to magically become better when Quentin Flowers is that quarterback. They have a rushing threat in Quentin Flowers. Not only that, they have um, they have a, a pair of decent running back behind uh, Quentin Flowers who can also run the ball decently. And I believe uh, they they have uh, this Dan. I think it's Dan Williams, is I think uh, their wide receiver that's pretty good. Uh, he, again, he's a pretty good wide receiver in the XFL who can get open and can win contested catches. So they have weapons. They have the ability to move the ball. And when Quentin Flowers is in, effectively use the read option, the read option um, run running scheme to get downfield and to more effectively get points in the red zone. And they don't do it. They just don't commit to Quentin Flowers. Quentin Flowers is, I believe, uh, four of six passing 80-some yards and a touchdown, I think is what he was at this week. Or uh, he ran in a touchdown, yeah, on a read option play. I remember now. He went down He went down the field and got a touchdown for the team and got the team back in the game. And we're just going to ignore... Everything that he brought to the table, I think it's ridiculous. And I think head coach Mark Mark Tressman is a fool for putting Quentin Flowers in midway through the game. Put him in for about two drives. Quentin Flowers gets a touchdown on one of those drives. And then he just benches him again for Taylor Cornelius once again. It's, It's really confusing. I don't understand why Tampa Bay continues to commit to slow plotting quarterbacks. And they're wasting a perfectly valiant defense. Uh, their defense in this game actually pl- did not play bad at all. Uh, they 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 kept Tampa Bay in the game for as long as they could, but they were just on the field for so long that they were just unable to uh, actually get wins on a consistent basis. Mostly because, again, they were on the field for so long because their offense just kept stalling out because of Taylor Cornelius. It's really disappointing, and I wish Tampa Bay was not this incompetent at um, at handling their quarterback situation. I wish it was not that way. Let's go into the second game of the week now. Uh, New York Guardians at St. Louis Battlehawks. St. Louis winning uh 20 what was it 29 to 9 uh 
New York Guardi- New York Guardians have just been falling apart these past two weeks especially. And it's very clear that they have absolutely no discipline and have what seems to me like not a very um, good football culture. It doesn't seem like a very pleasant locker room to be a part of. And I think a lot of that falls on their coaching. Their coaches clearly could not build a culture in the locker room. They it, it seems that they were unable to do so, which is really unfortunate because the New York defense is actually still pretty good. Uh, they, they came in week one. I think they shut out. Tampa Bay, if I remember correctly, or or it was uh, they limited them to a field goal. I think is what it was. But the the Tampa Bay or the New York defense, sorry, <laughs> um, is actually still pretty good. The unfortunate part is, and why they got absolutely roasted by St. Louis this week, is unfortunately they have no offense. Straight up, they have no offense. Which is really weird because they have weapons on, they have weapons at skill positions on offense. For example, Darius Victor at running back, who showed to be a solid in between the tackles runner for for New York in Week One. They also have wide receiver Colby Pearson, no relation, that uh, played very well Week One and got open and got came down with contested catches. They also have Mikhail McKay, uh, a former. AAF standout a couple of uh, almost a year ago actually who played very well for the San Antonio Commanders when that was still a team and who who was a star down in the AAF and he's like the 6'5 receiver who ran a real a pretty decent 40 40 yard dash and he was just never able to stick he kind of hopped around practice squads and Dallas and um, a couple of, I think, Cincinnati as well uh, in in the NFL. Now that he's, he's in the XFL, I think he has a chance to make it, and I think he's still a very talented receiver. It's just that they have nothing at quarterback. Matt McGloin has officially established, established himself to me as a clown. He has gone on multiple... Uh, it, sideline interviews, which is admittedly something cool that the XFL does. That they approach a player after a big play and they ask for their thoughts on the play. I think that's cool. And I think it's really going to help out uh, their future success in terms of marketing and getting people to actually watch the league. I'm very excited for what that will become. However, here's the issue. When Matt McGloin gets up on gets up on TV and starts blaming the play calling, starts blaming his coaches, start starts blaming his teammates. At some point, you just have to realize that Matt McGloin is a bit of a jerk, and you start to realize that. Oh, going back to my other point. Oh, geez, the coaches really didn't establish a culture in this locker room at all, did they? Because they let players like Matt McGloin go unchecked and it pretty much throw their throw their teammates under the bus because they're not playing very well. 
Matt McGloin got hurt, by the way, uh, midway through this game, and they had to bring in Marquise Williams, um, a mobile quarterback for once, who isn't a slow, plodding, pocket-passing quarterback. But we'll get to him in a second. Um, It's just Matt McGloin, not a leader. Not a leader at all. Has a very below-average arm. Not a very good processor. Uh, The accuracy is sort of there, but not really. Uh, very average accuracy. Uh, he he just does not does not fit in the XFL at all, and I'm really disappointed to say that. And uh, I, I I honestly thought he was going to play better, but it seems that his time as a starter in New York may have just ended this weekend. Now let's get to the other quarterback, uh, Marquise Williams. He went uh, I believe he went seven for six for seven for sixteen. And pretty much didn't do anything uh, at all. Uh, he could not inspire the offense. The running game was still uh, stagnant behind him. Because really the only option that that New York had was, well, Marquise Williams can't throw the ball with any sort of accuracy at all. We have to run the ball. And St. Louis recognized that and just committed to stopping the run. And the, uh, the New York offense went nowhere. It's disappointing, and Marquise Williams is not the answer. I I understand, uh, in the XFL especially, going back to my previous point, uh, mobile quarterbacks are absolutely essential in in this league. And if you want, honestly, if you want to succeed in this league, you're going to kind of need a mobile quarterback. And that's what Marquise, Marquise Williams is. The problem with Marquise Williams is that He's only good at being mobile. He's not accurate at all, and he sticks on on one read for way too long. And it's just unfortunate to watch because you you just see him taking the life out of out of the New York offense every time he's on the field. It's so disappointing. And he pretty much played the the rest of the game uh, outside of uh, the last two drives. And uh, he isn't the answer either. Now one final point for New York and I think this is pretty much the only positive thing to come out of this game for New York is actually my boy Luis Perez quarterback for the New York Guardians I am so happy that he got on the field this game uh, if, if you remember uh, about three or so weeks ago when I was discussing uh, XFL week one stuff and I said if Matt McGloin does not does not do well. Look out for Perez because I think he will be ready when his time comes to step up into the starting role. That finally, finally came to light this weekend. Luis Perez stepped on that field late in the fourth quarter, no expectations, and led a beautiful drive. 80 yards downfield for a touchdown. It was great. Um, I what Perez showed me on that on that final drive was poise, accuracy, and decision and good decision making. He went four for five, by the way, for 80 yards and a touchdown. The touchdown was a bubble screen uh, in the red zone, so uh, the touchdown isn't all too important. But still, you get my point. He was able to lead 
the offense downfield, the offense which had been absolutely garbage all day long, finally hit their stride with Perez, and he was able to bring them down, down the field, and score a touchdown. I'm so excited. I think he might start next week. Don't uh, don't count on it, though. New York might, might still be committing to Matt McGloin, but if Perez showed anything, it showed that he could be the leader of a team, and like I said at the beginning of the year, Watch out for when Perez gets the starting job because when he does, he'll be ready for it. And the former Birmingham Iron quarterback and former Texas A&M Common Commerce. I, I've learned I learned the college, by the way, guys. I learned his college. Uh, it's Texas A&M Commerce. I finally learned it. But I'm really excited for Perez. And if you're a New York fan, I think you should be as well. Let's go into St. Louis. I haven't talked about them at all today. Um, I was wrong about their quarterback, Jordan Ta'amu. I just straight up need to say this. I apologize for being so wrong about Jordan Ta'amu. Uh, I said that he... I, I've said in the past that I was not a believer in him. I said I thought he didn't have any accuracy. I said I thought that... He could not lead a team in crunch time. Uh, I, I've said before that I didn't believe that he could actually deliver a, a deep ball in this league and that all he was good for was for short area, um, short accuracy, um, you know, decent competence there, and being a mobile quarterback. I said that, that was the only thing he could do. He could barely keep the ship afloat. I had no confidence in Jordan Ta'amu. Now that we're three weeks in, I got to say, the majority of my concerns have been answered, and they've been answered with flying colors. Uh, Jordan Ta'amu has actually showed that he has a pretty good arm. Uh, he he has showed that he can push the ball downfield when uh, their head coach allows him to do so. And I, I find that very encouraging uh, for Ta'amu. It, it also seems that he uh, is very good at short to intermediate uh, accuracy. Uh, I've pretty much I pretty much haven't seen him miss too many throws uh, in between uh, ten, five to ten yards, which is a vast improvement from what I thought he was coming out of Ole Miss just last year. Uh, he's also showed that he's a pretty good leader. Uh, he's, he rallied the troops this week and just kept pu- pushing and pushing and keeping their foot on the throats of New York. Uh, it was very impressive. And once again, he's still a mobile quarterback, which means he is going to... he His value in this league has already heightened just because of that. Ta'amu is has been a much better quarterback than I thought he was going to be. And what's impressed me the most has actually been his decision-making and his his processor in uh, breaking down defenses. That is what has impressed me the most uh, for, for Ta'amu. Uh, he has very quickly seemed to learn the game better than um, the point that he had learned it in college. And I think he's only about 22 years old, more or less. So he's a really young quarterback. And if he 
keeps going on this trajectory, he might get a chance in the NFL uh, maybe a year or two down the line. Uh, I'm very encouraged by what Jordan Tamu is doing, and I congratulate him for excelling um, where I thought he was. He would never excel. Now, uh, now I want to get into St. Louis as a team as a whole. Uh, so the St. Louis BattleHawks clearly uh, were being heavily supported by the people of St. Louis. Uh, they may be the only team with an actual home field advantage in the XFL so far. They brought home 29,000 fans into the stands this weekend uh, in the former Rams stadium just a couple of years ago. And I was very impressed. Uh, I did not... I didn't think that St. Louis would be able to do it. I didn't know if the fans of St. Louis would accept football back into their town. But it's very clear that they want football back in their town. And they came out to support in droves. It was it was beautiful. I was really happy that St. Louis was... Um, that the people of St. Louis were so eager to get behind uh, their team. And... I think that really helped out the defense this week and just being able to rally around an entire group of guys and get them all excited and, and inspired, that that does huge things for for a team. And the people of St. Louis were able to deliver that to their, to their team, and they won. They won big. Uh, now uh, I want to talk about the players a little more. I already talked about Jordan Ta'amu for a little bit. Now I want to talk about uh, the rest of their offense and how good uh, they are at running the ball, uh, especially Matt Jones, their running back. He has been probably one of the best running backs in the league so far. He just hits every single open hole in the offensive line super hard. He plays physical. He um, does an all right job at catching out of the backfield. He has just been a great weapon week in and week out. Uh, and let's not forget, uh, he um, he and Christine Michael, uh, the backup running back, have all have both just been tearing up clocks. Uh, they they are great at m- St. Louis is just great at managing the clock, uh, is what I'm trying to say. And um, it, they, it, most of that is due to their ability to run with Jordan Ta'amu and Matt Jones and Christine Michael. It's beautiful to watch, and uh, that's kind of kind of a segue into how I think St. Louis wins, and how I think they want to win, and how they get there. And they have a very specific way in which they want to play the game of football, and it's this, and it's like this: they are a very run-first team. They are a run-heavy team that want to break down defenses. And once those defenses are broken down, they start throwing in option runs with Jordan Ta'amu to get huge chunk runs off every single drive. And then once once the defense is broken down, the St. Louis offense just starts to throw with Jordan Ta'amu and they start to get big plays and nice chunk 15-yard passes 8-yard passes, 10-yard passes, 15-yard passes 
over and over and over again. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts with St. Louis. And that's a very uh, interesting way to play football nowadays. It's a very reliable way to do so. You could say that the San Francisco 49ers do something very similar. Uh, though I wouldn't say uh, to the extreme that St. Louis does it. And I'm very excited to watch St. Louis go. Um, they are, I th- I am, in my opinion, they're the third best team in the league right now. They're sitting at 2-1 and one in the East. I believe they're first place in the East as well. Uh, or uh, second place in the East, actually, to uh, D.C. I'm very excited to see what St. Louis does from here. And, um, yeah, that, that's, almost, that's almost all I have to say. I have one more thing to talk about, and it is Kenny Robinson. They're um, the, the safety for the St. Louis Battlehawks. And I want to highlight this player specifically because uh, his story is, I think, very telling for the future of the XFL. And just to give you some background, Kenny Robinson uh, was a former college football player for West Virginia. And this year... He was deemed academically ineligible. So he had only played two years of college football. And to get in, to get uh, to be eligible for the NFL draft, you need to, to be um, minimum three years outside of high school. So three years after high school football, and then you are eligible to be drafted. So uh, Kenny Robinson only took... Two of those years, and then the third year he was deemed academically ineligible, so he couldn't play. He was essentially kicked off the team. Instead of just simply transferring to another school, waiting out the year that's required of you to to transfer, and then playing college football at a different school, instead, Kenny Robinson saw that the XFL was happening and made a business decision to just simply get out of college, get a get a job in the XFL, and prepare himself for the NFL. So that is that that is what Kenny Robinson did. He essentially foregoed his third year of college football to go ahead and get paid, which he he would not be in college football. In college football, you play for free, essentially, and. He he foregoed his third season and decided to get into a professional football league where he could get tape out for the NFL draft and prepare himself for the NFL, which I think is a really smart move. And if the XFL wants to succeed, they need to find more guys like Kenny Robinson, who will, who in my opinion, is tearing up the XFL right now. He has been a great rangy safety kind of like a ball hawk type of safety. I'm really impressed with what I'm seeing from Kenny Robinson. Uh, Good hitter, relatively fast. Uh, I'm impressed. I am absolutely impressed. And if the XFL, I think if they want to succeed in the future, they need to find more guys like Kenny Robinson to take out of college and to persuade outside of college to go and get get a job, Start getting paid for their likeness and for their for the work that they're putting in on the field, 
and prepare themselves for the NFL. Because Kenny Robinson is projected to be drafted, by the way. He is eligible to be to be drafted this year and was um and was invited to be um to and was accepted into the NFL draft pool this year. So Kenny Robinson will most likely get drafted. Maybe in about the fourth to sixth round, more or less. But he, I guarantee you, he will be drafted, and he will be an XFL success story. I promise you. All right, so I have been talking to you guys for 30 straight minutes, and I hope you guys haven't tuned out yet. Uh, but uh, when I come back, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Renegades against the um Seattle Dragons, as well as the DC Defenders against the LA Wildcats. I can't wait to talk about both of them. And then after that, we're going to go into uh, projections for the XFL this week, uh, break down the games, give you my predictions, and we'll see uh, if I'm right or wrong. And after that, we will be breaking down uh, a brand new NFL draft prospect just for you guys. So thank you all so much for listening. I will be right back. Alright folks, we are back. Welcome back to the film room here on 88.9 The Bridge. I am your host, Andrew Pearson. Uh, And we have been talking about XFL news and recapping all of the games from last weekend. I want to get into these last two games of the weekend. And uh, I'm really excited to talk about these. Let's talk about the Dallas Renegades at the Seattle Dragons, Dallas winning, um, what was it, 24-12. to 12. And I got to be honest with you, uh, Dallas Renegades are looking pretty good. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not a huge believer in their quarterback, Landry Jones. <sighs> Sorry, water's good. I like water a lot. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, Landry Jones has not impressed me so far. And uh, I'm as someone who is pulling for the Dallas Renegades, um, as a Dallas native myself, uh, I got I gotta say, uh, Dan, or Landry Jones is a very slow, prodding, uh, pocket passing quarterback, and that's pretty much the best way I, I can describe him. He he um, in week two, he scrambled uh, to his right to get to a first down. And I swear it was like watching ice melt. He was so incredibly slow. Um, just being trying to be a mobile quarterback, it was it, it won't it won't work. So when he has to actually sit in the pocket and read defenses and make good decisions, he has to make good decisions to make up for his lack of mobility. And the thing about Landry Jones is that he makes really bad decisions. He makes terrible decisions on a consistent basis that lead to terrible interceptions. He he had, uh, I believe, two this week that just looked completely awful. Uh, there was one that he threw into the deep middle of the field that uh, he threw to a wide receiver that was covered, uh, that was double covered, uh, with a with a with a safety completely free to just get take a break on the ball and get the interception. It was ugly, uh, and that interception came um, 
pretty since he was throwing it deep, he threw it deep and the pass landed in the end zone where um the the Seattle defenders uh safety caught it. So, he pretty much took a touchdown off the board there. And there was one that he threw uh, to the deep left sideline that just looked so incredibly ugly. It was terrible. He just threw it behind his wide receiver, and it just... He was he was covered, too. He wasn't even open. And he threw it late, and he... Ah, oh man. I, I've, I've seen enough of Landry Jones. Uh, he may give... The Dallas offense a higher ceiling uh, or a higher floor, I mean to say. But I hope that Dallas can find a brand new quarterback next year. Uh, if the XFL is around next year, I, I, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it can't. Dallas can't continue like this with Landry Jones. Okay, because even though Landry Jones has a pretty strong arm. His accuracy is leaves a lot to be desired, to say the least. And he's terrible at reading defenses. Uh, like I said before, he just makes really, really bad decisions on a con- on a consistent basis. And uh, that's the reason why he's not even an XFL or an NFL backup anymore, to be quite honest with you. And uh, let, let's go into some more uh, with Dallas. Uh, let's go into... Pretty much the huge positive this week, Mr. Donald Parham, big wide receiver slash tight end, big 6'8 frame at 250 pounds, he is a great receiver. And when when you when you watch him play, he's so much faster than you would expect, especially for a guy who is built like an offensive tackle. He is oddly really fast. Uh, he had a couple plays this game where he caught the ball and he just straight up outran linebackers and out a couple of second uh, people in, in the secondary. Straight up. And that's re- really rare to see from a guy who's 6'8". You just don't see that type of, um, that type of speed on a target that's that big. Something that big is not supposed to move that fast. But he but he does. He wins contested catches constantly due to just being able to outframe people. And he has pretty good hands as well. And I and like I said before, he's surprisingly fast. So I would not be surprised if uh, Donald Parham gets picked up uh, in the NFL. At, in, during this XFL offseason, I would not be surprised at all. Uh, keep an eye on Donald Parham. He's number 49 for the Dallas Renegades. He is an absolute weapon. Also to note for Dallas, uh, Cameron Artis Payne at running back. He's pretty good. Uh, he is the former uh, Ar- Auburn. Um, I believe he won awards at Auburn a handful of years ago believe he played when Cam Newton was in Auburn, was at Auburn, is what I'm trying to say, uh, and was and was in Carolina uh, for a long time as a backup to Jonathan Stewart. Never really caught on uh, as as the starter, and kind of bounced around the league after that. Uh, I believe he's back now. I think he's 
28, 29 years old. So he's an he is an older running back, but he he's looking pretty good. He uh, showed a lot of patience in his running this week. He showed that he can still turn on the Jets and run pretty quick. He showed that he could run in between the tackles. They didn't run him all that much, but uh, it's very promising for Cameron Arters Payne, and I'm really excited to see him uh, moving forward for Dallas. Overall, honestly, I think Dallas has a pretty bright future, but I think they need to find a new quarterback, to be quite honest with you. Now let's go into Seattle, and I don't know whether to be hopeful for Seattle or kind of worried about them. Uh, I believe this the, all of this starts with... Um, ah, uh, all of this starts with quarterback Brandon Silvers. And Brandon Silvers is a bit of an enigma. He is a very interesting topic to bring up. And it's mostly because um, he's probably the most physically talented quarterback in the league. Uh, he's not exact he's not uh, he's not exactly uh, an elite mobile quarterback, but he can still he can still uh, move around a little bit in the pocket and he can run for a first down every once in a while. So he's not necessarily a slow plodding pa- pocket-passing quarterback. He's not exactly that. But, uh, when he is in the pocket, he has this super strong arm that um, is very rare to see. He has, he has a very strong arm. He um, is a quarterback out of the University of Troy, um, by the way, uh, and he went undrafted in 2017, I believe, and never really caught on to an active roster in the NFL. Honestly, um, he's very talented. He's got he's got a lot of physical talent on him. It's just bringing it out that has been the issue for uh, for Seattle. And now I will say this: he has been improving week after week. Uh, he still makes pretty rough decisions, though, uh, and his accuracy downfield leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, some of, some of his throws will just be beautifully dropped right in the bucket for his receivers, and it looks so beautiful to watch. But then you turn around, and you see him throwing an absolute duck on a curl route that just gets intercepted. It's very hot and cold with Brandon Silvers, and uh, I am encouraged by the growth of Brandon Silvers, but I'm also discouraged because... Uh, he, he still throws these boneheaded picks and makes these bad decisions and doesn't have reliable accuracy all the time, which is something that you really need as a quarterback. And uh, it's just something that worries me, is all. Uh, moving moving on, though, uh, Austin Prohl, wide receiver, uh, or slot wide receiver for these uh, Seattle Dragons, has just been great. He is the son of Ricky Prohl, who you might remember from the Carolina Panthers or the greatest show on turf uh, for the St. Louis Rams back in the early 2000s and late 90s. He was a very solid receiver for many, many years. And um, his son, his son Austin Prohl, is now in the XFL. And I'm very encouraged by Austin Prohl, actually. Uh, he... 
how do I say it? He he's a very good slot wide receiver. He's very good in short area route running, in short area quickness. He gets open underneath and does a great job at just catching everything that comes to him. And uh, this week he he was on a he was on a, a go route uh, on the left sideline or a, a crossing route over the left over the left side of the field. And Brandon Silvers just dropped it right into the bucket for him, and he caught it, and it looked beautiful. Uh, beautiful uh, catch and throw. And I believe he got into the end zone as well. And I was um, I was very impressed with, with Austin Prohl, and I'm very excited to see him moving forward. Um, also, Marcel Frazier for the uh, Seattle defense. He is one of the edge rushers. For Seattle, he's number 57. He has just been getting constant pressure every single game. He has he has absolutely been wrecking all types of offensive lines in the XFL so far. And it's been absolutely jaw-dropping. And I'm very encouraged. Marcel Frazier might get a shot in the NFL uh, after the XFL is up this year. And uh, they go into their offseason. Well, look out for Marcel Frazier. He is an edge rusher out of Mizzou. I believe he played with Drew Locke, uh, current quarterback for the Denver Broncos. And I'm excited to see him moving forward. Uh, The Seattle defense, by the way, very promising. Uh, I actually like what what I see in their defense. And I think it's what's preventing Seattle from being the worst team in the league. Uh, I like what I see. All right, that that will be it for this segment. When we come back, uh, I will be talking DC defenders at LA Wildcats and the absolute madness that happened in that game. And then we're going to review and project what's going to happen next week in the XFL. Uh, And we're going to be going over some of the matchups and projecting who will win. And then after that, we will be breaking down a brand new NFL draft prospect that you should be looking out for in a couple of months when the NFL draft occurs. Thank you all so much for listening. I will be right All right, folks, we are back. Welcome back to the film room here on 88 on the Bridge. I am your host, Andrew Pearson, and we have been talking all about XFL coverage and uh, what what we're all about with the XFL and what's going on and all that good stuff. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna recap the final game of the week that happened last week. Then we're going to move into um, uh, what what's happening this week in the XFL, and then we're gonna actually break down uh, a player for the NFL draft. Uh, let's go into the final game of the week though. Let's talk about DC Defenders at LA Wildcats. Uh, LA Wildcats smacking the defenders 39 to 9. This was the most surprising game of the week. Uh, LA came in as the underdogs. Some people thought that they were the worst team in the league. Uh, they came in at 0 and 2. And the DC defenders looked absolutely unstoppable for the first two weeks. Cardell Jones was playing amazing. The defense was up to snuff for, for DC. Everything looked great. Uh, until this game. DC Defenders, what happened? Man, 
Cardale Jones really wet the bed this game. He played absolutely atrocious. He threw four interceptions, which, by the way, were all his fault due to bad reads and terrible throws into coverage. Then you had um, the the defender's defense just not holding up at all, uh, definitely playing way worse than they did the first two weeks. And to continue on Cardell Jones, by the way, he just did not look accurate at all. He looked jittery in the pocket. It was just not something you want to watch. He actually got benched uh, very late in the game for, in favor of Tyree Jackson, uh, who, if you remember from two weeks, two or so weeks ago, I did mention very briefly um, as uh, an interesting player that the defenders had. And he is basically this huge 6'7 guy, ran a 40-yard dash at the Combine last year, was a rookie last year on Buffalo's, on the University of, um, on the Buffalo Bills practice squad. He, uh, his college was the University of Buffalo, by the way, which is interesting. Um, and he just has this rocket arm. The problem with him was that he had no accuracy and he had a terrible throwing motion. But to be honest with you, Tyree Jackson is this athletic freak of nature at quarterback and uh, hopefully for Cardell Jones's sake uh, let's hope that Tyree Jackson doesn't keep on improving because uh, Cardell Jones just absolutely looked awful and I, I think a lot of people coming into the game were thinking to themselves that Cardell Jones might get another shot in the NFL if he continued to play the way he he has been playing and I think uh, this week was definitely uh, a wake-up call for Cardell Jones to say to say to himself, yeah, there's a reason why you're in the XFL. There's a reason why NFL teams don't want you anymore. The lone bright spot in this game for, for DC was actually Nick Brosette, their running back. He was a rookie out of LSU last year. Um, and... He played pretty well at LSU last year. Uh, this was Joe Burrow's first year at LSU, not not last year where he absolutely dominated. Um, Nick Brissett played pretty well. He was very disappointing at the at the NFL Combine. I think he ran a 4-7, 40-yard dash. It was pretty bad. Uh, did not get drafted. Was briefly picked up by the um, by the New England Patriots, but then quickly released. It was very ugly for Nick Brissett and it's very it's very interesting and very encouraging to actually see him back in action here with uh, DC and he actually played pretty well he had about 8 carries for 70 70 some yards and a touchdown uh, Nick Brissett might just be the feature back for uh, for the defenders and uh, he's pretty much the only bright spot that they had all all game long because he's pretty much the only thing that worked on offense or defense. Going to L.A., though, um, I am very encouraged on what L.A.'s got going on. Uh, by the way, I'm a hu- I am a huge believer in their head coach, Winston Moss. I think he has done a great job at building a culture. And I think he's done a great job at uh, rallying his troops and actually just improving on upon, upon themselves to actually do their best to um, genuinely improve the team. And they finally pulled out a big win 
and keep an eye on the Wildcats because they they might just uh, they might just surprise some some people. Uh, I'm very excited uh, to see what LA's got in store for us later in the year. But let's start with the players. Josh Johnson, uh, quarterback for the LA Wildcats. Uh, you might remember him from about two years ago when he played uh, as as um, an emergency backup for the Washington Redskins and didn't play completely terribly. Uh, yeah, he's back in the XFL, and he actually lit it up this week. He looked great. He he was making very good decisions. He His processor was very good. Uh, he was never that much of a mobile quarterback, but uh, he's one of the few quarterbacks in this league. He is a savvy veteran, and that helps him in just being able to uh, make up for that lack of mobility with a quick processor with a quick processor of defenses he has a big arm he has relatively good accuracy he's I think uh, after he shook off the rust last week um, I think he, I think he's gonna be a much much improved uh, option at quarterback for LA I'm very encouraged to see what else we can get from him and I think he's gonna be a huge improvement and I am just I am just elated to, and happy to say that LA is finally getting interesting. Uh, Trey McBride, their wide, their um, other wide receiver. Um, I, I already talked about the first wide receiver, uh, and I, I couldn't, I didn't tell you his name, but his name is Nelson Spruce. He is, I believe, number eleven uh, wide receiver for the LA Wildcats. He is uh, a great slot option. Uh, he's pretty much the the Adam Thielen for the LA Wildcats. But if you wanted to make a Stefan Diggs uh, comparison for the LA Wildcats, you would go with Trey McBride, number 15, wide receiver for the LA Wildcats. He lit it up this week, absolutely. He had one really concerning drop uh, that was a really, oh, that, would, that came on a route that was really well thrown by Josh Johnson and a really well run route from himself. Which was a a seam route, which is pretty much when you run in between uh, the soft spot between the safety and a corner in a cover three coverage. And what that means is uh, one safety is pretty much patrolling the middle of the field, while uh, each corner on both sides of that safety are patrolling the other two thirds of the field, uh, respectively. So. What a seam route aims to do is to pretty much split split um, a safety in a corner right in the middle of where of where they would normally be to get a throw uh, that will most likely be open for just a split second for the wide receiver. And typically, the way that offenses attack a cover three was that they is that they send two seam routes up the seams between the corner and and the safety on both sides and they force the safety to make a decision on which which receiver to, to cover and whichever receiver the the safety decides to cover the quarterback will throw it to the other receiver uh, for and throw it into a now open space uh, behind uh, the, the safety and that's essentially what happened on, on this specific play for Trey McBride and Josh Johnson, they they found a very split second, a very small window that uh, Trey McBride was open. Josh Johnson throws it, 
Trey McBride is open, and he just barely, barely drops it. Uh, the the it was a catchable it was a catchable ball as well. Uh, it was right there, and Trey McBride just did not extend his hands far enough to catch the ball. It was really unfortunate. It would have been a highlight catch. Uh, just tragic. Just absolutely tragic. Uh, but then later, he, he caught another touchdown off a go route. So he just ran straight down the sideline. Josh Johnson threw him open. Touchdown. Trey McBride. Uh, it was beautiful. And he, Trey McBride just did a great job at, at route running. He clearly seems to understand how to get off the line of scrimmage. Uh, it was It was really encouraging. And I liked what I saw. Trey McBride. Uh, keep an eye on him for uh, the rest of this year because he is going to be become a bigger and bigger uh, weapon for the LA Wildcats. And that's pretty much all I have to say for this week's games. Uh, they were they were really fun and they were really close. And I'm highly encouraged to see what will come next for all these teams. When I get back, I will talk about. Next week's games, project winners, and then after that, we're going to break down a player. Thank you all so much for listening. I will be right back. All right, folks, we are back. Welcome back to the film room here on 88.9 The Bridge. I am your host, Andrew Pearson. Uh, I just got discussing last week's XFL football games. Uh, If you don't know what the XFL is at this point, uh, I I figured it's probably a good time to uh, inform you that the XFL is a brand new professional football league that was recently started by uh, WWE owner Vince McMahon. And at the moment, it has been an absolutely great football product so far. Um, All of the games have been extremely entertaining. Most of them have been very close. And the ones that aren't close are still extremely entertaining to watch. It is, uh, I believe, it's it's, it's, it's football that's between the quality of NFL and college football. So you take the best of college. Uh, you take the, the the folks that couldn't make it in the NFL. You put those together, and you pretty much get what you get uh, in the XFL. And it's very entertaining, and it's it's high quality football. And uh, I just wanna I just wanna share it with everybody here on the radio, that so that you guys can go and support and watch this uh, brand new league. Uh, we're already in week three of ten, and uh, I- I'm excited. I'm I'm really excited. Uh, if you do want to catch the games, uh, they are broadcast on television. Uh, unlike the Upstart AAF just last year that got pretty much shafted on on arrival, uh, th- this league is actually broadcast so that you you'll actually see it at some point. And for those curious, uh, there are two games over the weekend. Um, or over each day of the weekend, uh, so four games in total. One of which is at two p- two p.m. Eastern, and the other at five p.m. Eastern on both days. Oh, actually, not this week specifically. Uh, let me just list out the games for you, and we'll be. And I'm just going to recap. Uh, I'm going to predict what's going to happen in the game, and then we're going to move on. Um, so let's get started here. L.A. Wildcats will be flying up. To New York to face the Guardians. Uh, this is going to be at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on ABC. Honestly, New York Guardians have been reeling for two straight weeks now. That team is 
extremely undisciplined. Uh, it it's very unorganized. And while I like their defense, their offense is I don't think is going to do enough to make up the difference of their ineptitude of their quarterback room. Uh, I think the only competent quarterback they have there is their third stringer, Luis Perez, who I'm really excited for, and I really hope he starts, but I don't think he will. I think he is going to be, going to be passed up in favor of either uh, Matt McGloin or Marque- Marquise Williams um, for the New York Guardians. Uh, Luis Perez showed actual promise last game, uh, unlike the other two who have just been crashing and burning since the start. Uh, I don't think New York is going to do enough on offense to beat the Wildcats. And the Wildcats, I think, can deal with the New York defense. They actually have one of the best left tackles in the league. Uh, His name is passing me up right now, but uh, keep an eye on him to get signed as depth in the NFL, he is actually doing very, very well over at le- the left tackle for the Los Angeles Wildcats, as well as uh, the rest of their offense being uh, wide receivers Nelson Spruce and, um, oh my goodness, I just forgot his name. We were Trey McBride. Yeah, Trey McBride and Nelson, Nelson Spruce at wide receiver for, LA, for the LA Wildcats, I think will tear up the New York Guardians defense as well as quarterback Josh Johnson continuing to develop and shake off rust from previous years and settle in as a starting quarterback. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think LA, LA is going to win, and I think New York has a lot of soul-searching to do. Now let's go to the second Saturday game. Uh, that's this Saturday. Both of these games are going to be this Saturday, February 29th. Uh, this game specifically will be at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. Uh, it is the Seattle Dragons traveling over to St. Louis to face the Battle Hawks. Uh, the Battle Hawks have just been on fire for the past two for the past two weeks or so. Uh, Jordan Ta'amu has actually grown into a competent quarterback, and uh, their St. Louis's defense is no slouch either. Uh, I'd say they're one of the better defenses in the league, actually. Uh, and while Seattle is showing a lot of promise, uh, I like that Reynolds guy that they have at wide receiver for Seattle. I also lo- I also love Austin Prohl in the slot for, for Seattle as well. But uh, to be honest with you, this game entirely hinges on Brandon Silvers, the quarterback of the Seattle Dragons. Can he continue to develop and uh, continue to uh, better himself in terms of progressing through his reads and being able to read defenses better and just pr- pr- getting the ball to his receivers with better accuracy. Can he continue to improve on those traits uh, to actually get past the Battle Hawks? Uh, because the Battle Hawks defense plays fast. Uh, they they play pretty smart. They got a really good safety. And, um, oh my goodness, what is his name? Uh, oh my... I'm sorry, guys. Uh, Kenny Robinson. Kenny Robinson. Uh, Kenny Robinson Jr., I think. Um, I'm I'm excited to see what St. Louis does on defense as well. Uh, but honestly, this, this, this win entirely hinges on whether or not Brandon Silvers can step it up and uh, take advantage of his physical traits to finally uh, pull out um, a more defining and more uh, convincing win for Seattle. Uh, 
Uh, I think St. Louis will win, and I think their defense is going to hold Seattle's offense in check, and I think their offense is just going to run the ball and control the game um, and just going to take advantage of the Seattle defense. Now let's move to the Sunday games. Uh, If you can't tell, I'm trying to do this a little bit quicker. Uh, I I realize I've spent the whole show just ragging on about last week's games. But uh, we got we got a Texas rivalry this game. This is going to be Sunday, March first at 4 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports One, which you know all 15 people have. But just just watch a YouTube live stream. Don't don't worry about it. But uh, Houston at Dallas. Um, this is going to be an interesting game because it's two of the better teams in the league. Uh, in Houston's case, they're the best team in the league. And in Dallas's case, they're either uh, three or four, more or less. But this game is actually going to be interesting. Now, Dallas's defense is probably uh, the best or the most solid defense uh, put together in the league at the moment. They just play very smart. They have good coordinators. Uh, they tend to limit offenses and do a really good job at bending but not breaking and what i mean by that is while sometimes they will allow a large amount of yardage from the op- from the opposing offense they do a great job at in the red zone at not letting them score touchdowns they do a good do- a good job of that um and honestly Dallas's offense i'm not sure if it, if it's going to hold up against Houston Houston's defense has playmakers such as Coney Ealy at edge rusher uh, former second-round pick, you might remember that name from uh, the uh, Broncos Panther Super Bowl a couple of years ago, where Coney Ealy went off for about three sacks or something in that game. Uh, he's back in the XFL and he's doing very well, and he, he's getting a lot of pressures. He is uh, forcing a lot of quarterback hits. It's pretty good. Uh, I doubt Dallas is going to be able to handle him as well as the rest of the Houston. Defense, they they're just hard hitters, man. Um, and I don't know if Dallas Dallas is more finesse style air raid offense is gonna hold up against Houston, especially considering that PJ Walker is on the other side of the field um, for the Houston offense. And honestly, I think I think uh, PJ Walker is gonna absolutely tear it up, like he has been doing for the past two weeks or so or the past three weeks, um, P.J. Walker has just been absolutely amazing. He throws with touch. He throws he throws into tight spots. He throws accurately. He can mo- he can scramble. He can do just about anything uh, you could ask him to do. Uh, my only knock on him is that he's a little slow in progressing through his reads, but to be honest with that, uh, or to be honest with you, I think he, he makes up for that with the, all of his other traits that he does so well. And mostly just because of P.J. Walker, I'm going to give Houston the win here. Um, Not much more to say, to be honest with you. Now, this game uh, might be the most interesting game of the week, uh, especially coming off the fact that the Tampa Bay Vipers almost um, upset the, uh, who was it, Houston Roughnecks last week. Uh, But it is the D.C. Defenders going down to Tampa Bay uh, to fight the Vipers uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern Time over on ESPN2. 
uh, for all 12 people who own that service. Um, if you're interested in in ESPN, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, point is, Vipers, Defenders, who wins? Uh, honestly, still the Defenders. The Defenders, while they did have a hiccup at quarterback last week, I think Cardell Jones will bounce back and um, actually wake himself up and go back to how he was playing the first two weeks. Also, um, I think the defenders' defense is going to step it back up and show what it can do, as it did show earlier on in the year. Uh, they were doing a great job at, at containing offenses and limiting limiting big plays and just forcing underneath throws um, to the linebackers. Um, you know, about five to ten yards into the middle of the field. They were great at funneling uh, a lot of offenses to do that. Uh, they didn't do that last week, and they got roasted for it, and they just got beat over the top over and over again. Uh, let's see if they can... I, I think they have a good shot at going back to the, being able to go back to their old game plan uh, this week against the Vipers. Uh, the Vipers offense, I have no idea who's going to be starting a quarterback. Uh, it could be the alien known as Taylor Cornelius, who uh, nobody should care about and who is not a good quarterback at all uh, and hopefully is not starting. Uh, I don't know if Aaron... Mur- I believe Aaron Murray, uh, the quarterback from week one, will be back that this week, but I don't know if he's going to start. And uh, the fact that Quinton Flowers has not been named a starter yet is probably the most concerning point of all for the Vipers. Uh, again, Quentin Flowers is just an absolutely electric uh, playmaker at the quarterback position. He's extremely mobile. He's got a pretty good arm. And in the couple times he has thrown, he hasn't looked inaccurate. So I don't understand what Mark Trussman, uh head coach of the Tampa Bay Vipers, is doing. I don't understand why Quentin Flowers is not starting. But if Clinton if Quentin Flowers is not starting this game, then Tampa Bay has absolutely no shot. Straight up. They don't have a shot, and you can write them off right now. And because of, because of that uncertainty, and because we just genuinely don't know how the offense for the Vipers is going to look, because the offense for the Vipers has functioned in the past three weeks, it's just had it has just had a very hard time scoring in the red zone they did answer some of those some of those questions last week but unfortunately uh, they had some really bad play calling late in the game in the in the end zone or in the red zone last week that could have won them the, won them the game or at least tied it up and they just failed on four opportunities on the goal line it was really ugly and really unfortunate for Tampa Bay. Uh, I don't know if all of those questions will be answered this week, and because of that, I have D.C. winning. Now, just for a quick recap, uh, L.A. Wildcats, New York Guardians, I think L.A. is going to win that game. Uh, Seattle Dragons at St. Louis Battlehawks, I think St. Louis will win. Houston Roughnecks at Dallas Renegades, I think Houston wins. And D.C. Defenders at Tampa Bay Vipers, I think DC wins. All right, folks, that's pretty much all I've got to say. Um, I'll be back in just a couple of minutes for a very quick uh, draft prospect uh, for for this year's NFL draft that I want to share with you guys. 
Uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you are interested in uh, the draft prospect that I'm about to share with you guys, uh, tune in for just a couple more minutes, and I will deliver. Thank you all so much for listening. I will be Alright, folks, we are back. Welcome back to the film room here uh, on 88.9 The Bridge. I am your host, Andrew Pearson, uh, the show where we break down all of your favorite NFL players and teams and see what exactly makes them tick and how exactly they're good and um, just explaining it all to the average fan to make us all more aware and more appreciative football fans. Uh, I just got done talking about all my XFL stuff. I know, uh, I, I know, I understand people might be a little tired of me uh, ranting about the XFL every week, but to be honest with you, it's pretty much like the NFL, and it gives me something to talk about every week, and it's something I'm passionate about, and something that I really want to uh, succeed, and I wanted to share it with y'all, uh, but all of that aside, let's talk about and let's get to the main course of the show uh, or what is normally the main course of the show, I know I understand it's not this week, but uh, what is normally the main course of the show, which is our player breakdowns. And uh, now that it's NFL draft season, I want to talk about certain draft prospects. By the way, the NFL Combine is this week, and uh, it's pretty much going to give us a brand new insight into a whole bunch of players that we have not been able to see for a while or that we may want to actually see how fast they are or how strong they are or how what are their exact measurables, all that good stuff. And uh, the, the prospect that I want to talk about today is actually Andrew Thomas, uh, ta- offensive tackle, formerly of the Georgia Bulldogs, now a top tackle prospect in this draft class. I'm really excited for him, and I am just so hyped up to see him go into the pros. And something that I truly don't understand is if you actually go and look at mock drafts nowadays and you and you go look and see where people are mocking Andrew Thomas and where, where his draft stock is and all that good stuff, you actually see him dropping really hard into the middle or late first round which is something that truly, honest to God, baffles me. Because this dude pretty much has nothing wrong with him. It is absolutely incredible to see. Um, watching Andrew Thomas uh, just function, in it, just watching him play at Georgia, you would never see him give up a pressure, period. Straight up, he is stronger than every single edge rusher that has come across him. He had better technique than every single edge rusher that came that he came across. It, it, it was like watching him was uh what was as if uh you know you were watching an elephant get rammed in by a zebra. It, the zebra, the zebra is the one that would break its neck in that situation, and um, Andrew Thomas in that situation would be the elephant, right? And he is just absolutely incredible. He has had one of the most impressive careers uh, so far in 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 college football. Uh, he pretty much came out as a freshman and all was already 
grading already graded out as a dang near elite tackle prospect as a freshman at Georgia. And keep in mind, this is these are SEC defenses he is going going up against. So this means that Andrew Thomas was going up against the likes of uh, Arden Key from LSU, uh, whichever edge rusher, take your pick from Alabama, uh, edge rushers from Florida, uh, edge rushers from LSU, uh, edge rushers from Texas A&M, which I think, I I believe he landed a matchup against Miles Garrett uh, in in his freshman year. But don't quote me on that. I don't. I don't quite remember that. Point is, Andrew Thomas, absolutely amazing. Keep an eye on this guy. Um, he, if you actually look at how one of the few, one of the few websites that I actually trust to properly grade out uh, uh, an offensive lineman is actually Pro Football Focus. And normally, I don't put a lot of stock into Pro Football Focus. I think a lot of their stats are very helpful, and a lot of their grades are relatively accurate. But uh, the reason I, I put so much stock of their grading into um, into offensive linemen is because offensive linemen don't really have stats behind them. And it's pretty much just sacks allowed and pressures allowed, which are normally not recorded by normal NFL stat sheets. And it's pretty much just um, not, there aren't stats for offensive linemen. But PFF, or Pro Football Focus, uh, what they do is that they actually record all of your pass, all of your uh, pass blocking snaps that you could have taken throughout an entire year. And they take all your run blocking snaps and all of that stuff. They, they see how you block, whether you allow a pressure on the quarterback or not, um, whether you, your win rate against edge rushers, all that good stuff. You were able to act, you're able to actually see how good a prospect is um, and see and how exact uh, and in what precise ways they're actually winning against edge rushers each and every year. And Andrew Thomas has graded out as over a 90 uh, in in pass blocking or as an over with an overall grade of over 90 this year and that is incredible. So just for reference, uh, pro football focus, th- their grading scale it goes from 0 to 100. Uh, the better you are, the higher you are on that scale. And pretty much anything for an offensive tackle especially, but uh, just even as a, a draft prospect, anything above around a 70, you're pretty good. Um, anything above 80 is extremely high quality play and an extremely high quality grade. If you're above a 90, you are an elite player. Those are Aaron Donald type numbers. And um, uh, hold on, I'm trying to think. Those are uh, Patrick Mahomes type of grading out numbers, okay? If you're grading about above a 90 in anything, it's because you are elite at that trait. And if you get an overall grade of a 90 plus, it is because you are an elite prospect. And Andrew Thomas is graded out at 90, at uh, or at 92.4 specifically, which is the highest 
grade that pro football, pro, pro football focus has given a player uh, in the entire offensive line class this year and one of the highest that they've given out that they have given out in years. This dude has pretty much been a golden boy ever since his freshman year. I don't understand why people are are lowering lowering their stock on him. It makes absolutely no sense to me. It is asinine to me that that other, you know, supposedly important and influential uh draft draft board makers and uh, mock draft creators are taking offensive tackles such as Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wirfs or Josh Jones above Andrew Thomas. It It's absolutely asinine. Andrew Thomas is going to be an elite left tackle in, in this league. I guarantee it. And I really hope that everybody listening will watch out for that name on draft night. This, uh, I believe it's either May or April. Uh, I hope all of y'all Listen for that name to be called up by either the New York Giants or the Cleveland Browns or even the Detroit Lions. Any team that is in desperate need of an offensive lineman, keep an ear out for Andrew Thomas because once he's in the league, he's going to start tearing it up in the league. I promise you. All right, folks, uh, that is about it all that we have for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you if you could share this, uh, if you could share the show, uh, th- again, this show is posted on Spotify. It is posted on a transistor. Uh, I don't, I, I'm going to need to find out if I can link it to Spotify, but if it does get on Spotify, I'll tell y'all when it does get on Spotify, but pretty much uh, when, or on SoundCloud, excuse me, but uh, if y'all want this show to grow and if y'all appreciate what I do, um, please share it with your friends, your family, your dog, anything, uh, anything and anywhere. Uh, share it, share it with your, um, can't say that on air. <laughs> um, share it, share it with your cat. I don't know. But point is, uh, please share the show. I'd really appreciate it. Um, if, if we could bring more recognition not only to my show but by extent to all the other shows here on 88.9 The Bridge. Um, Everybody here works really hard and uh, puts a lot of effort into their shows and everybody enjoys and loves uh, the fact that that we can literally make shows for folks on live radio uh, for the people to hear and uh, I personally really enjoy being able to do that and I know a lot of kids uh, here at the school uh, really appreciate, would really appreciate it if you shared and uh, gave us recognition. Uh, we really love you guys as an audience and could not be happier to have you guys listening. So once again, please share this show on 88.9 The Bridge. I believe my show is literally just called Andrew's Film Room or something. I don't know. Uh, anyways, guys. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, thank you for sitting through my XFL rants for the past couple of weeks. I'm going to have more com- more of those coming. But thank you all so much for listening. If you did enjoy, again, please share, like, um, like the, the content. I, I don't know. I don't know. Get out of my house. I love you guys. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>